20 minutes ago I was stuck in traffic on the Richmond Bridge. <laughs> Which seems like bad timing on my part, doesn't it? But um, My name is Hung Shur. Can everybody say Hung Shur? Your Mandarin's getting better and better. I didn't, I didn't know. Can we uh, turn the, the gain down? This is too echoey. Yeah. Uh, Jaime, can we get that down just a bit there? Yeah, good. Um, Hungshur is constantly real. It's a name that I've had for 41 years now. And I live here. Welcome to my house. Actually, it's not my house. That's not accurate. I'm... I'm on staff at the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery and have been for 22 years. And it's one of the delights of our life here. I might indicate to other members of the monastic staff here, Jin Chuan and Jin He. It's uh, one of the prouder moments of our lives that James's group has been meeting here for 22 years every Thursday night. How about that? And uh, I can't say it tonight because we're all graying, we're all aging, but I, I'm, I'm frequently in front of college groups and I'm able to say, some of you weren't even born then. You know, but I can't say that tonight. Look at you all. Yeah. What's that like, getting older? Gee, you have to exercise. You have to. It just creeps on up so fast that muscle mass goes down and all. So why are we thinking about this? Um, Because, and why was I so late that I had to rush to get here? Um, I just came in, well, just before the break, was because we left the monastery at 12 o'clock today heading north to Ukiah, to the city of 10,000 Buddhas, because... Yesterday, a special event was announced, which was Ajahn Sumedho's talk. Didn't exist before yesterday. He wasn't coming. And uh, apparently, uh, his secretary and his uh, attendant said, no, 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 Bhante won't be coming. He's mm, aging, you know. When Ajahn Sumedho found out that he'd been invited, he said, I very well am coming. Tell them, tell them to prepare, you know. So we found out yesterday at noon and drove up today at noon and uh, celebrated our... Uh, I first met Ajahn Sumedho uh, at the city of 10,000 Buddhas in 1980. And he met my teacher, the founder of this institution, the late Venerable Master Shrenhua, um, in... San Francisco in 1977. So, quite, uh, quite a long, quite a long connection. So, um, now that I've actually sat down and made a sound, and you've determined that you can hear me and understand me, let's let's do a formal opening, which we haven't done yet. And I would like to invite you to. Um, Follow me with the English language, Tri Ratna, the, the refuge that we usually do in Pali here on Thursday nights. But let's do it in the English translation out of Chinese. How's that? You ready? So those who are willing and happy to do so, please put your palms together and I'll give you a line and you give it back to me. To the Buddha I return and rely. Got it? To the Buddha I return and rely. Vowing that all living beings, vowing that all living beings, Understand the great way profoundly. Understand the great way profoundly. And bring forth the Bodhi mind. And bring forth the Bodhi mind. Very nice. That's the Buddha jewel. Here we go. Dharma.
To the Dharma I return and rely. To the Dharma I return and rely. Vowing that all living beings, vowing that all living beings deeply enter the Sutra Treasury. Deeply enter the Sutra Treasury and have wisdom like the sea and have wisdom like the sea. Okay, now the Sangha Jewel. To the Sangha I return and rely. To the Sangha I return and rely, vowing that all living beings, vowing that all living beings form together a great assembly, form together a great assembly. One and all in harmony. One and all in harmony. Lovely. So that's the Buddham Saranam Gachami, Buddham Dharmam Samgam Saranam Gachami. So celebrating the, uh, the reality that when the Buddha's teaching comes to North America, we can set down a lot of baggage. We don't have to bring with us a lot of the traditional prejudices and blindnesses and cultural struggles, misunderstandings and arguments that in many cases have been around hundreds if not thousands of years we really see eye to eye as monks, monastics from the Chinese Mahayana tradition, the northern tradition, we see eye to eye with the monks of the Thai forest tradition, of the southern tradition. Those are, that's on one hand politically correct language, on the other hand it's healing language which is what? What's the pejorative? Hinayana, small vehicle, selfish arhats, versus the noble, unselfish bodhisattva of the Mahayana, the great vehicle, you know. We can't, we, we can set that baggage down. Certainly the Buddha didn't teach his disciples to, to distinguish one from the other based on doctrinal resonance, right? And it becomes absolutely ridiculous in here in North America when I go over to Abayagiri, uh, our brethren, our Sangha monk brothers, many of whom are over six feet tall, and in some cases six foot two and six foot three, and I say, you belong to the small vehicle, were you aware of that? You know. And they go, oh, really? And what do you belong to? <laughs> the great vehicle? Great in what way? You know. So it's really not, it's unnecessary now to carry on those squabbles, which are often culturally based. I'm sure in the West we will create our own set of squabbles over time and, you know, the centuries to come. But at the moment we're able to follow Master Shrenhua, our founder, and Ajahn Sumedho, who is, as people, people know Ajahn Sumedho. Yes, more or less, yeah. I'm sure some of his works are here. He is the senior Western disciple of the Venerable Ajahn Chah. And Ajahn Chah is uh, the refor- one of the many reformers in the Thai Buddhist world um, who is universally respected 
when he passed away, um, some, was it uh, 16, 17, 18 years ago, uh, 400,000 people attended his funeral, including the king of Thailand. So the, um, the monks of the Thai forest tradition saw um, Master Shenhua and Venerable Ajahn Sumedho standing shoulder to shoulder saying that they affirmed that they had been fellow cultivators in lives past. To say that, you'd have to have some special knowledge, but Ajahn Sumedho said today uh, in front of 300 people at the city of 10,000 Buddhas that he had two men in his life with whom he shared a heart connection. One was Ajahn Chah and the other was Master Shrenhua. So, how interesting. Okay, that's so. How does it play out? What's the significance of that? At uh, City of 10,000 Buddhas, people know where that is? Up in Ukiah? Yeah? In Talmadge, actually, you go north 110 miles and it's, it says Ukiah, next four exits. And Talmadge is the first one. Turn right and go one mile and you, you run into the former Mendocino State Hospital. It's a huge Chinese gate. And it's been the city of 10,000 Buddhas since 1976. And it, mind you, it's not city of 10,000 Buddhists. That, the tax base in Ukiah would be wrenched beyond... It's 10,000 Buddhas. And when you go, it'll be one more Buddha, you know, when you, when you would bring up there. You go up for a lunch. The veggie restaurant there is, is a fine restaurant. So, uh, Master Xuanhua um, set up the city of 10,000 Buddhas. Oh, I was quoting Ajahn Sumedho. And the other thing that he talked about it in some length was something that happened the last year of Master Xuanhua's life, 1995, uh, he, I got a phone call from Master Hua's attendant and he said, uh, invite Ajahn Sumedho to get on a plane and fly down here. Down here is West Covina in LA. And so I called and sure enough, Ajahn Sumedho was in the country. He's usually in Great Britain. And uh, he said, well, I will come. And so we, the two of us flew down and attended Master Hua, who was, had one more month of life at that time. And he said, uh, Sumedho, he says, we've got uh, 120 acres of Mendocino County mountainside. I understand you're looking for land for a monastery. You want it? <laughs> and Sumedho said, why, yes, that would be very nice, he said. Abayagiri Monastery was born that day, so... I was, I was able to translate that. So we have this lovely uh, relationship of uh, bringing the southern tradition back from the south and pulling the northern tradition back from the north and meeting in the middle where the Sangha thrives. And this coming August at City of 10,000 Buddhas, there's going to be our every three-year ordination we make new monks and nuns who have been in training in many cases for three years or more. And there will be four men becoming bhikshus and 18 women becoming bhikshunis. And that ratio is pretty standard in terms of male to female in the Mahayana. And the, when you do that, when you go, what's, you do the, what's called the threefold platforms, the three mandalas of ordination, which is the Shramanera precepts, the novice precepts, the bhikshu bhikshuni precepts, and then the bodhisattva precepts. When you do those, we require three masters and seven certifiers. This is the way it's been done for 2,560 years. And almost always it's done in your yana, Mahayana, Hinayana, Vajrayana, Master Hua and Ajahn Sumedho set it up so that in the, we've done 13, and this will be 14. This will be the 14th this year. We always have a multi-yana ordaining panel. There will be, uh, Ajahn Pasano will be there, and perhaps two of his uh, disciples from Abayagiri. 
we will have uh, Bhante Shiluimala, who is a Sri Lankan bhikkhu who has been a monk since he was eight, and Bhante Piananda, who is the head of, of uh, the Sri Lankan monastery in Los Angeles. Shiluimala has got the, the uh, Buddhist um, Studies Academy, the Buddhist seminary in Sacramento, but he taught at GTU. Bhante taught at the Institute for Buddhist Studies for years, if anybody's connected to the Graduate Theological Union. So we've got, uh, we'll have five Theravada bhikkhus, uh, some in robes for 40 years. So that's a, a wonderful thing. When you see the photo, and that may not seem like much, but that's unprecedented in Buddhist history since the time of the Buddha, that the the traditions that split off and found reasons to dislike each other, in some cases, over things like the material you use for your alms bowl. Got to get that straight, boy. I'm going to straighten you out about that. You know, uh, They have come back together here in the West. So we don't have to bring that baggage forward if it's got no principle. So, okay, that's to say. Now, um, what I would like to share with everybody tonight is... Since I haven't been sitting on this seat on a Thursday night for about maybe two years, James and I used to regularly swap, but we've had 22 years of doing this. And uh, I haven't been here for two years because I got my Australian green card six years ago. And I've been spending uh, January to May, Christmas to May, in the Gold Coast of Queensland for the last six years now. And uh, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about that and then show you some photos. Because we are now a multimedia sangha, you know, and certainly this is the YouTube generation, certainly. And we like our pictures to move, by golly. So I put a slideshow together. But let me tell you about that and why I think that's significant. The... um, I'm going to see if I can't find an email that I had in my sights not uh, half an hour ago, but then it slipped away. And I believe it's, it's something that I want to connect to the photos that I'm going to show you. Ah, 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 ah. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Um... If that's it, by golly. Uh, So you see the join this month, and um, Cynthia, you have to pop up here, by golly. Um, This is something we need to talk about. And darn. Uh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> this is frustrating, I'm sure. Could not be more frustrating for you all. All right, set that aside for now. Where I live on the Gold Coast, the Gold Coast is in the southeastern corner of Queensland. Here is New South Wales. Here's Sydney. Here's Melbourne. Here's Brisbane. We're right there. We're 20 miles from the New South Wales border, and the Gold Coast, people call it paradise. It's a magnificent uh, place that is green, where much of Australia is arid. And we have a monastery there, uh, about 15 minutes from the coast. Uh, Gold Coast is a strip. There's a piece of it that looks just like Miami Beach. Uh, with high rises and casinos and Russian mobsters and the whole scene, fast cars, and and then you drive 15 miles uh, into the interior and you come to our monastery called Gold Coast Dharma Realm. And I live on a hillside uh, in what they call not the forest, not the woods, but the, any Aussies here? The bush. He's right. Yeah, it's the bush. I live there. 
And it's uh, surrounded by trees. And I am writing and translating and, and lecturing online from there. And the unexpected joy of living in the Queensland bush is being welcomed into the neighborhood by the, the flora and the fauna, the critters that surround Australia. Australia has a land mass the equal of the U.S., but a population the size of Taiwan, 24 million. Taiwan is about as big as New Hampshire and Vermont together, right? So it's the maximum uh, population it's the, the minimum population density of first world nations. More room around every person. What that means is the human impact on species and habitat destruction is slower there. Not because Aussies are saints. If there were more of them, it would be as horrible as anywhere. But there just aren't that many people yet. So the result is the species that live there are in many cases intact from millions of years. And they surround, I, I have, I'm on a hillside, so my deck is 20 feet in the air, so I'm at bird level. And I get to witness the lives of kookaburras and kurawongs and rainbow lorikeets and sulfur-crested cockatoos and uh, king parrots. And then the sun goes down and it's night and out come the bushy-tailed possums. And then the sun comes up and out come the brush turkeys and the snakes, the pythons, and the huntsman spiders, which were the uh, model for Attack of the Hundred Foot Spider. You were all old enough to remember that black and white film. They were actually Shelob, in, uh, in the Twin Towers, or no, Return of the King. Shelob was, which one of the three trilogy films? Shelob's Lair, Sam and Frodo, don't you all know? Come on. Cultural reference, come on. The first, it's, it's they're, they're on Mount Doom. And, and it's, I think it's, it's uh, Return of the King, I believe. Anyway, so Shelob is the spider that comes down and grabs Frodo and wraps him up, and Sam who is the true bodhisattva of that tr- trilogy. Sam Gamgee, you know, the cook, has to pull out his sword and square off with Shelob. Shelob is modeled after a gold orb weaver, spider, found in Queensland. So it's a wonderful place, unless you're arachnophobic, in which case, <laughs> ain't for you. Yeah, so it's a wonderful place. Enough talk. We're going to turn the projector on, bring the screen down, and let you see what I'm talking about. Takes a while to get that down. This is Ali Jr. This is the child of the kookaburra who has been my companion for four years now. And uh, we'll see more from him.
This is called a bearded dragon. This is the local landlord. We see him every day when we go down the hill. He's about three feet long. flower. Rangipania. Rangipani. These are rainbow lorikeets, and how could any creature be as colorful? A couple uh, live in the neighborhood and pay a visit every day. They're nectar eaters. That's why his funny tongue. He's able to pull the pollen out of banksia and, uh, and eucalyptus, known as gum trees. show up every day, this, this faithful couple. Most of the birds that I related to uh, mate for life. They're very monogamous and faithful. babies. These spiders are so big they have personalities. They, they look at you and thoughts, you can see the thoughts cross their mind. They, they're making decisions about their relationship with you. This is a kookaburra. The kookaburra from your childhood, remember? Kookaburra up in the old gum tree. This is Ali. He checks in about every day. I feed him veggie ham because he's definitely a carnivore. That's Mrs. Ollie. And here's what kookaburras say. Husband and wife conversation. Twice a day, every day, right on time. They're called the Bushman's Alarm Clock. They're very punctual. This is my desktop. This is Ali Jr., their gormless son. This is uh, the dad running for, flying down to me for food. And that's, that's Jr. up on the branch. Dad takes over the duties of feeding him. His long beak is for catching snakes without getting bitten. This is the night crew. Brushy-tailed possums. The big one is mom, the smaller one is daughter.
They're much cuter than opossums that we have. Monk Jinho sure here was the first one to, to feed them out of hand. Husband and wife? 13 years. Rainbow lorikeets, just such brilliant birds. We have a Billabong in front with the Guanyin image. This is Serafina. She's the local queen of the bush. This is a carpet python. And uh, seven feet long, non venomous. You're pretty much okay unless you're a rodent. In which case you're in you're in trouble. They make pets, people have lots of pets. And I, I have to stop and tell a story. Um, and this is an Australian story. Uh, I teach the meditation class on Sunday mornings at uh, Gold Coast. And, and uh, this time we had uh, mice under our sink. Some students had been in the, my cottage and hadn't put the food away. And the, the, the mice moved in. And they were pooping up the floor and, and the altar and things. And so I was complaining about this on Sunday morning meditation. And I said, you know, we're Buddhists and... So we, we, we probably wouldn't get a cat. What should we do? And the local matron from the neighborhood says, Well, you could always get a python. <laughs> I thought, what an Australian response that is. when your back is turned. Rush trickies with that vertical aileron in the back. These critters apparently have come down from the dinosaur's age intact. Check those feet out. Those are velociraptor feet. Right? There's a close-up of the food. The food is called parrot mix. Available at your local feed store. So, with this face that only mothers could love, right? Mother turkeys. These birds have been there forever. Just as long as there have been species. These parrots, the turkeys have been there in that form. This is a red wallaby. Wallabies are small kangaroos. That's the definition. This is a male. Notice the buff. It's like he's been working out. He's got a, a ripped ear from territory disputes with other males. Mother and son. To check all your cook pots before you turn the burner on. yellow-faced whip snake and they're they're a social breed they always come in families and they're in the neighborhood they're semi-venomous 
your signature bit, but not fatal. Mike Dowling playing the resonator guitar. So there we go, and and thanks for indulging me with that. Th what is the point of showing you a slideshow here on in in lieu of a Dharma talk, or maybe as the Dharma talk? It's this. Um, I found what I was looking for, and I need to go to C. Why? Uh, let's see here. It's C.Y. Sampson. Yes. Here it is. This is worthy of our attention. This is a fellow, this is on the well, actually. I don't know if we have any well members. The original neighborhood network. Uh, chat group. Um, this is uh, Cynthia Sampson, lives in Asheville, North Carolina. She is um, part of the United Religions Initiative. She's putting together um, a cooperation circle, part of URI, United Religions, called Compassion for All Living Beings. And this was something, she's a long-time uh, interfaith activist, a Christian, uh, from North Carolina, and she said her life changed recently. She's been at this for 20, 30, 25 years. When she found the work of a man named David Ulansey, U-L-A-N-S-E-Y, um, mass extinction underway, the current mass extinction, the World Wide Web's most comprehensive source of information on the current mass extinction. He just puts four recognizable logos and mastheads, BBC, CNN, Science and Space, SciTech, BBC again, lions close to extinction, 10% of large ocean fish remain. Quarter of mammals face extinction. This was 2002. And then he explains and follows with over 300 links, which are updated. Biologists say half of all species could be extinct by end of century. Human activity has pushed Earth beyond four of nine planetary boundaries, including species extinction rate, that's the Washington Post from two years ago, etc. So, look, it just keeps scrolling. All of these are articles. United Nations, humans causing greatest mass extinction in 65 million years, and so on, and so on, and so on. Sixth Extinction, National Geographic. And now, I'm not going to preach details of the Sixth Extinction. I'm going to study them myself, research them. But I think we simply get numb. Uh, how many, you know, the Doomsday Clock, remember? And I'm sure some of you have stood with the folks on West Campus who hold the ban the bomb you know, those uh, are signs back in the day. We, we've been on the picket lines. We've been in the trenches for a very long time. And after a while, you just think, I, I can't pay attention to all of it, right? But somebody is. Orangutan numbers plummeting worldwide. Gorillas face extinction by 2050. All right. Now, so look, it goes on. This is... <laughs> David Ulansey, uh, it's mysterium.com, M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-U-M. I'll make that big so people can see it if you want to uh, have your heart broken. 
So Cynthia Sampson uh, plugged into this, and she said, you know, uh, this makes most of the interfaith, this puts a point on a lot of the interfaith that I want to do. I want people to wake up to the effect of humanity on the world around us. So here it is, mysterium.com extinction HTML. If you want to have a, a, a genuine bummer, here it is. Uh, now, the question would be, as Buddhists, what is a response? Is there a response that's appropriate? Okay, so I'm going to shut this down now, and I'll ask uh, the monks to run the screen up and turn the lights back on. We're done with that part. So I'd like to ask all of us to consider what is an appropriate response? Okay, now, this evening, this afternoon, we heard Ajahn Sumedho speak so eloquently about the Four Noble Truths, particularly the, uh, the first and second. And I don't need to remind you, you've heard Ajahn Sumedho, those of you who have been part of this community long enough, um, he has been speaking the words that he spoke today for 51 years in robes. And it is his uh, signature dharma. And he uh, has found a responsive chord in the 200 men and women who shaved their heads and entered the sangha, being inspired by that message. Just that awareness of reality as it is. The Buddhist message of dukkha and its cause and its cessation and the path to its cessation. So we were steeped in that today and it was such a wonderful sound. Again, uh, he's so consistent with that message. Sitting on my deck in the Australian bush, watching these beings live their life cycles. I have been present for three generations of kookaburras now, watching the, the kids grow up, get knocked out of the nest by dad when the time comes, having him ram them and knock them off the nest and oh, Dad, lighten up, you know. Time for you to go, son. Go find your own, you know. And seen them, uh, the, you know, listen to the, the husband and wife greet each other at the end of the day. And marveled at the, um, the richness and continuity in the midst of extinction of those species. Feathered, furred, scaled, finned, and some with pasty skin. And seen our story act out around me. For my, I'm, my eyes are open and I'm paying attention to what's going on with those critters. Their lessons, their patterns that I think humanity ignores at its peril. And I saw um, a brief uh, documentary by a naturalist from Marin County. He, uh, I think he goes up past Spirit Rock, maybe on the, the northern slopes of the mountain. And he's done it, actually he goes to Sonoma, he said. He goes to some of the wilder parts of Sonoma. And he is an audio historian. I've forgotten his name. Maybe some of you have seen this clip. It was about six months ago. He's been doing it for 20 plus years. And he kept records of the, he puts his microphones out in the same spot. And he has since, you know, 19, I guess he started in 1980. So it's longer than that. And... What's that? It's, 
it might be Bernie Krause. And his, his point was that in the 80s when he did, he did a visual of the sound forms, you know, taken from the, your audio scope. And, and it was rich and deep and there were multiple layers of birds and bugs and singing. And then he did one from the early aughts, right, 2002, and there were half as many waveforms and he did one in 2016 and there was silence. So Rachel Carson, right? Silent Spring, that was DDT. Well, we learned about DDT. China has not yet, by the way. But what's going on? In Sonoma County, they're gone. The, the birds that used to chirp for his microphones are gone. Is it Bernie Krause? Is that, is that right? Yeah, yeah, superb, it's chilling, unforgettable. So in Queensland, it hasn't happened as quickly, but koalas, people love them, right? Koalas, we don't have koalas on our property. It's not koala turf. The habitat is cut at the north where they would come down. But they say there are, they estimate 40,000 wild koalas left. And Australia would be diminished and the planet would be diminished if koalas were to vanish, you know. So, okay, news not to you. I'm sure folks could not be more tuned in to the reality of humanity's impact on the natural world. So, what about that? Is there a Buddhist response? Um... I've got a suggestion, a story, which is here. I'm not sure if people know that I did a pilgrimage at one point in my formation as a monk. Together with a companion, I started in South Pasadena on Huntington Drive and uh, made my way north. Um, took a month to get through Los Angeles because the two of us did a, we took three steps and did a prostration to the ground and stood up and took three steps and did a prostration to the ground. We went from South Pasadena from through, uh, through Watts, through Lincoln Park, through Chinatown, from one Wilshire Boulevard to Santa Monica, in one month, and then turned north on Highway 1 and went north. We traveled a mile a day, and uh, I, was, I had a vow of silence. I didn't speak for the, the two and a half years of the pilgrimage, and then three and a half years that followed. So I, I was silent for six years of my early life as, as a monk. So all the talking I'm doing now is probably making up for all of that silence, I think. So, so we're going to have a Chinese translation at the end of this lecture, by the way. I hope you're all going to stay for that. So. Uh, kidding about that. So, um, traveling this way through California's backyard on the Pacific Coast Highway, uh, through Big Sur, which would be impossible now, the slide cut it, um, we pass through, uh, people know Gaviota Pass, which is south of Big Sur, um, it's just at the north of the Santa Barbara oil fields, kind of across from the Channel Islands there. And just south of Gaviota Pass, um, at the time, this was year six of our drought back then. This was 1977. Remember we had that incredible drought? Are you all old enough to remember, uh, how did it go? If it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. You know, California native, right? So, uh, sparing of the water. Put bricks in your toilet tank to, for the flush. Yeah. So, at that time, we, we bowed in all weather. And there's, this is a very uh, tree-less area of the coast. The, if you're going north on, on Highway 1, the ocean is to the left, and those oil rigs are going like this. And on the right is this 
yellow parched area. Um, no trees. And as we were bowing up just south of Gaviota Pass, we found one really large tree, a huge tree, just a giant spreading, kind of like a banyan, you know, with the trunk that you can kind of walk around and 20 people put their arms around it. And, and uh, it was shady and green. And what we noticed, because we were going so slowly along the, the roadside, was that there were all kinds of species gathered under the tree in the blazing sun. Mad dogs, Englishmen, and monks are the only ones who stay out, you know. And so what we saw, much to our amazement, was deer in one edge of the tree with their tongues lolling out, and over here, coyotes sharing their side of the shade and willing to keep the peace because it was just too hot. And this was the only shade. And over here were the feral dogs. People move away and let Bowser go, you know. And here were the feral dogs, and over here were the rabbits. And the rabbits were <laughs> higher metabolism, you know. And so here were these natural enemies all making peace in the shade of the tree. We saw snakes and frogs all under the, and as soon as the sun went down, they all kind of back away from each other because it's night and all the bets are off. But during the day, <coughs> excuse me, they were willing to make peace. So I thought, boy, how come humans haven't learned this one yet? How come we still make enemies among our own species and prevent our elders from getting health care, etc., things like that? So, I thought, song. So it's called Sitting in the Shade of the Family Tree. And if we're to pull out, if, if the planet is going to... If the planet... James does this, so it's okay for me to do it, right? Right? Guitar? Guitar yes, oh, that's right. Good, thanks. Okay. Just checking. Be sure here. There are people who go, Monks, don't play guitars. Sir? Sir? It was actually seeing James play his guitar on his 50th birthday, some of you will remember that, that convinced me to go pick up my guitar again after 25 years of not touching an instrument. So. Anyway, the, um, if we are to pull out of this sixth extinction, is it just we don't do fate in Buddhism? We do responsibility in Buddhism, cause and effect take charge of our actions. If we're going to pull out of this race to the end of any other species on earth but humans, it's going to be we who do it. It's going to be us who do it. Nobody else. Certainly not the policymakers. Right? So, it's little acts. Um... Ajahn Passano found his own lay people with a chainsaw in Thailand cutting down the hardwoods. And Ajahn Passano said, but, 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 but Lars, he said, you can't do that. If there's no forest, there can be no forest monks. How can you do this? And he said, Bhante, you must understand, my daughter has her heart set on going to Chulalongkorn University and Without this wood, I can't send her there, so I'm going to have to cut the tree, Bhante. Ajahn Pasano put a precept robe around the tree and gave it the precepts and ordained the tree so the layperson couldn't cut it. Now there's a Buddhist solution to environmental impact, right? So, Okay, your part. You go. We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. Ready? Sitting in the shade of the family tree. Sounds good. We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. Sitting in the shade of the family tree. I'll tell you when to come in. 
wind and fire. Roots digging deeper, branches reaching higher. North and south and east and west, all beings akin to me. Here we go, ready? We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree again. We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. I got earth in my feet. I've got oceans in my knees. Seven generations live on inside of me. My roots connect the universe. All beings are family. Here we go. We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. Again, sitting in the shade of the family tree. What we do to our planet, we do to our home. Planet Earth is our address. Nobody lives alone. Everyone's a neighbor in our Earth community. Because we're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. Sitting in the shade of the family tree. Earth is home to all of us. Share the crops, don't make a fuss. Share the food grown in the ground. There's enough to go around. Eat the burger, feed the cat. One you savor, one you pet. Pet the burger, eat the cat. No, I didn't get that straight. Here we go. I got brothers wearing fur. I got sisters wearing fins. Some with wings and some with tails and some with rainbow skins. I don't eat my family. Come sit here right by me. Join me. We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. Sitting in the shade of the family tree. Now, the cook, she calls it omelet, but the chicken called it egg. You may call it drumstick, but the turkey called it leg. Every mother loves her children. Live and let life be. Come on and sit within the shade of the family tree. We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. So, is there hope after all? Well, I need to look in the mirror to answer that question. Um, it's easy to say it's them who's doing it, you know, but um, it's little acts. And uh, certainly Berkeley leading the way in getting rid of plastic food bags, vegetable bags, right? That's huge. It's happening around the planet now. And the... Uh, Bits of plastic found in the, in the stomachs of most marine creatures will maybe be a thing of the past. You know. So um, what we can say is um, it's helpful to look compassion fatigue right in the face and go out and look at mysterium.org, was it, slash extinction? Was that what it was? And pass that information around. You know there are folks back home in Detroit. There are folks back home in Kansas City and Austin who, who need that information, for whom they just, when it comes at the right time, it can move us into action and to see the connection. And what we do to our planet, we do to our home. Planet Earth is our address. Nobody lives alone. So just a reminder. All right, so thank you for letting me uh, stray a bit from the Four Noble Truths tonight, but I guess that is the truth of suffering. If you're one of those species, certainly it's the end. And how does it happen? So I'm inside my cottage there in the Gold Coast, and I notice a moth has uh, come down and has hit the screen. And it's a beautiful moth, you know, and one of those spectacular, colorful moths. 
and it's got its little feet hooked in the screen. I think, oh, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's uh, unable to get its to unhook. Okay, and just at that moment, I notice on the railing, here is the mother butcher bird and her teenage daughter, who I saw from eggs, and so. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there they are. Like, I'll get the crackers and I'll feed the butcher birds. And they're these aerial aces. You toss it up in the air and they, they pull it. They're, they're insect catchers and they pull it out of the wind. It didn't occur to me what kind of insect catchers they are. So I give the moth a help. I go, boop. And the butcher bird goes, mm, thanks. You know, <laughs> oh no. Just like that. That's how quick impermanence happens. So dukkha, the Buddha said, this is, this is how it is. This is the way things are. It's not a theory. It's not an opinion. He didn't say this to, write, to sell books. He said, take a look. It happens that fast. And the butcher bird was delighted. And the poor moth, you know. That's just the impersonal reality of all conditioned things coming apart when the time is right. So, um, I will wrap up here and uh, welcome anybody who would like to hear uh, some of the Dharma that happens here when we're not showing slides and singing songs. We're explaining the Flower Garland Sutra, the Avatamsaka, which is the Sutra of the Bodhisattva Path. Every Saturday night at 7.30 here in this room. And... uh, it's all in English. Uh, it's it's the, um, the the one of the gems of the northern tradition, of the Mahayana tradition, and we translated it, and uh, we want it to come alive. And uh, so that happens every week. Come September, we'll have uh, our regular s- uh, series of activities here almost every night. Uh, like James has been here since. For 22 years, since the used to be called Spirit Rock East Bay, no longer, uh, your Insight Meditation Group. Likewise, we have Wednesday nights and Tuesday nights and Friday nights. Uh, we had Hokmat Halev, the center of the heart, Jewish renewal, here for two years before they found their own home. Uh, we've had yoga and Hindu groups. We've had an ongoing dialogue with uh, quantum physicists from Cal and uh, the Avatamsaka Sutra. And we have Taiji and yoga, uh, Taiji in the morning at uh, 6.30. So please do come by and check out what we offer. Veggie food on Saturday, Saturday noon. So come for veggie lunch. Um, we have our petitionary prayers. My daughter Blythe uh, was in a car accident and hurt. And we will keep Blythe in our thoughts as we transfer the merit. For Eric that he may find connection and love. If we were Roman Catholics, what would we say now? We would say, Lord, hear our prayer. Juliana, that she may stay open to her next steps. We'll keep Juliana in mind as we transfer. Patricia Bullitt, who continues at the care center in Oakland, fighting multiple myeloma. Okay. Again, Patricia, Juliana, Eric, and Blythe. And anyone else who in your heart you can fit. Countless living beings who are raised for food uh, or who simply got moved out of their habitat by humans and vanished. We transfer with... uh, We can do it from the Chinese tradition. This is an English translation of the Dedication of Merit. And we we put our palms together in our tradition. If you're happy and comfortable doing that, please join me. Um, You make a wish with your heart. And there's no place where my mind stops and your mind begins. We do connect in space. Minds touch. When you use your mind to transfer send out like a cell phone tower, like a lighthouse, all this goodness, all these good wishes, then the darkness has nowhere to stand. So, here we go.
now or we done okay good night all thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and dharma seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate